Welcome to Inside the Media Minds. This is your host, Christine Blake. This show features in-depth interviews with tech reporters who share everything from their biggest pet peeves to their favorite stories. From our studio at W2 Communications, let's go Inside the Media Minds. everyone, this is Christine Blake, the host of Inside the Media Minds, and we're recording remote today from home. Um, I'm here with Derek Johnson, the senior staff writer for FCW. Hey there, Derek. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah, my pleasure. Awesome. So this is actually the first um, podcast that we have recorded um, since the quarantine COVID-19 situation. Um, We had recorded a lot of episodes at RSA just before everything shut down, but um, excited now to do this one with you remote and probably do a bunch of these here moving forward. Um, so Derek, let's start out just, you know, we've had, uh, Troy Schneider from, from FCW on the podcast before and definitely want to get a feel, um, for, from you sort of, you know, what your role is there at FCW and, um, what, um, you know, your coverage area looks like and, you know, sort of how you approach the beat. Yep. Uh, so I have been with FCW since, um, 2017. My primary era of coverage is uh, cybersecurity policy and, and the federal government. Um, so, you know, I focus a lot more on what um, federal agencies are doing in the cybersecurity arena as it, as it mostly impacts the federal government. So, um, you know, how agencies are working to protect their systems and networks, um, how uh, the government is recruiting and retaining IT talent and cybersecurity talent, um, what the Department of Justice and the Department of Homeland Security and other agencies are doing um, to uh, protect uh, federal agencies from nation state hackers and um, impose consequences on, on, on countries um, that um, that that attack and probe our systems. So that is basically the 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 fifty thousand foot mm-hmm. view in terms of of, uh, of of what I cover. Awesome. So when you talk about what you cover, who is your audience primarily? So we, um, you know, our audience is is a mix of essentially. Um, federal IT folk, so both like the low-level practitioners um, as well as the C-suite executives um, who kind of set policy at the top. Um, certainly government contractors mm-hmm. who work in IT and cybersecurity are among um, our readership. Um, we have some folks in Congress, some um, congressional staffers who, who, who keep track with us. And then at least in terms of my work, um, people from the broader uh, information security community, which is just this huge collection mm-hmm. of, um, of, of, you know, hackers, uh, you know, both, you know, both white hat, you know, gray hat, black hat. Um, and and sort of uh, folks who just basically work on securing the collective ecosystem of, of our uh, of our IT. Mm-hmm. Excellent. So I know this is a question that um, I know our listeners will be curious about. And how has your um, your work, FCW, your coverage, the way you approach coverage, how has that shifted since um, COVID nineteen at the late February, early March timeframe happened? Yeah, I mean, um, the short answer is that it has affected everything. Mm-hmm. Um, it has affected 
almost everything that we cover, both in my beat um, as well as the beat of, of my colleagues. I have a, a, we have a reporter who covers uh, DOD and defense uh, as well as cyber. We have a reporter who covers um, the um, human workforce. We have another reporter who covers acquisitions and, um, and, and other, other IT issues. And um, it, like, it's really probably more instructive to talk about what stories and issues mm-hmm this hasn't affected because, um, you know, it's, it is, it is touched on almost every story that we have been or are tracking, Mm -hmm. um, in a, in a super, uh, significant way. So, you know, yeah, I saw you wrote a couple pieces recently on, um, the SBA loans and then also, um, domain scams. So like, it's totally infiltrated everything you've been covering. Yeah, no, I mean, from, from my perspective, from a cybersecurity perspective, it has been um, like a titanic shift. Basically, you had virtually overnight um, the entire federal government, its workforce, uh, contractors, uh, members of Congress um, shift from this mostly in-person uh, work environment to uh, a telework environment or an environment where they're not able to really gather and anything more than than very small groups. So, mm-hmm. like everyone's normal workflow was totally and completely upended. And so, you know, in terms of like how it affects your coverage, you, you know, it, it just raises all these questions, right? So, like, how do you, if you're a Fed or a contractor, how do you securely log on to, you know, a government's uh, systems that you know that you're used to using every day? How do you do that from your home network? Um, how do you access and share classified uh, information in a quick and, and easy manner that sort of dovetails with the policymaking process. Um, how do you work at home at all mm-hmm. uh, if you don't have a government-issued laptop or workstation that has a, a PIV card or a CAT card uh, reader? Those are the, the identity cards that um, virtually every federal uh, employee and contractor need to verify mm-hmm. their identities and, and log on to their, their computers. Um, not everybody has those. Uh, 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 and so that created a huge problem at the outset uh, of, of this in the sense that you, know, you had these – you had basically 10 years of modernization, uh, you know, put in place within a matter of weeks. And so just like tracking that fallout and, mm-hmm. and what has happened and how these agencies are reacting to it, that's just been that's been enough to keep us busy um, for for a long time. Yeah, I imagine because I know, you know, the topics of insider threat and also IT modernization have been huge in in the federal government. So it's, you know, it's curious to me and I'm sure to your readers too, like how this has impacted everything. And and you mentioned it's like that digital transformation that companies and and contractors and the government has been mapping toward and it's years in the making, right? And it just has to happen instantly, whether overnight or in, in a week or two. So I guess what have been some of your observations and, and how this is impacting like business for the government? I mean, the government, I think, has is, you know, by choice, been one of the least receptive organizations to kind of adapt to what I would call like the new reality. Hmm. Um, or what I think was already a reality before this happened, which was um, our connectivity and and uh, and IT infrastructure really allow most of our work to be done um, in a remote environment. But 
so few organizations and especially the federal government, um, they just haven't invested the time, the money, the infrastructure um, to do that in an effective and safe way. And especially if you're the government and you are um, this huge target, you've got this gigantic target painted on your back, you have all this sensitive information that um, the, you know, the world's most well-funded uh, intelligence agencies would love to get their hands on. Um, there just hasn't been for cultural reasons um, and for just for, I think, just um, status quo, this is how we've always done it reasons. Um, they, a lot of agencies kind of got, got caught with, with their pants down um, mm-hmm. when this happened. So um, I, I think what's interesting to track is, you know, I think this will happen more in the business community than in the government, but when this all goes away or however, when, when it ends, um, what is the new normal going to be for federal agencies in terms of how they do business? Because it's, it's pretty clear that a large number of folks can do their work mm-hmm. um, uh, from the comfort of their home. Um, if you can make that secure and you can do it in a way where you can still um, track and, and measure and, and make sure that you're getting, you know, that folks are, are, are getting their work done. Um, the, the, the broad benefits of that, like from a quality of life perspective, from a, a traffic congestion mm-hmm. perspective, just from all these perspectives, it could, it could, it could really kind of change things. And, I, and I've talked to folks who, who have basically said, you know, I don't think, I don't think we're going back, um, mm-hmm. you know, at least in the short term, you know, while we're under kind of this, the, 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 the shadow of this pandemic, but even after that, I think it's going to become apparent to a lot of folks that um, there never really was a, 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 a solid reason for why um, they were required to come in, and, you know, drive an hour mm-hmm. uh, each way, each day to come into an office and, and, and sit there and do their work um, that you can kind of get it done, get it done from from home and, and still have a, a better quality of life. So I, I, I will be interested to see whether there's a larger cultural shift here to. to, to mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really good point. I'm curious about that, too. Um, especially in this area, you know, all the congestion and how that's going to be impacted. Sweet. I know. <laughs> um, and, you know, one of the things that we've been talking to a couple of different um, reporters and publications about is that balance and that shift. So like the editorial focus of a number of publications naturally had to switch to covering the pandemic, COVID-19, security publications, how to write about the expanded remote workforce, the challenges that come up with that. Now, as you know, as things start opening up again and, and whatever you want to call it how do you see that that balance taking place like will um you know how will you approach that will you continue you know covering you know things equally um in terms of you know regular pre-covid um news stories or you know how what does that look like to you so uh when this kind of all started in you know march and, and, and april um because, like I said, because it touched so many aspects of what we were doing and, and, and whatever you were covering, the question of, well, how does the pandemic affect this was not just an important thing. It was really like the only thing yeah, that everything. to know for uh, a really long time. So if you go back and you look at our, at our cover, like if you just go and you look at the headlines that um, for like March and April or uh, late March and, and all throughout April, um, you know, I think it was like it's probably like eighty percent of the stories that we wrote were 
either direct like they either like they had COVID nineteen in the headline or mm-hmm. they um, directly touched on the pandemic or indirectly touched on it as kind of an anchor point. Um, we have just started, I think, more recently, kind of in the last couple weeks, actually, to uh, start covering some issues in a way that is kind of disconnected from the larger crisis that we're in right now. Mm -hmm. Um, But for the most part, like we are focusing on this because this is what people want to know about. Um, Our traffic uh, in the last uh, two months has gone up like 30 to 40 percent. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah, and those, I mean, you know, you can get, you can bet that those people are not um, coming to, uh, you know, read about, you know, the stuff that we were, you know, maybe covering in, in, uh, in, in January or December. Um, they, there's like a super real hunger for figuring out what is happening with this pandemic, how policymakers are reacting to it, what solutions they're putting in place, and, and, and what that's going to mean for um, our readers, uh, you know, day to day, you know, mm-hmm. and most of them, of whom are, are federal employees. Um, so, you know, that's kind of, that, that's, that's how we've f- focused our coverage over the last couple of months. I think that you can only do that you can only like juice that so much for so long before um, both, you know, before everyone just gets kind of like, it all just kind of starts blurring together. Mm-hmm. So I think people are starting to go back. Like I just did a, a couple of stories this week that like weren't explicitly about um, the fallout from this. And uh, it felt a little weird. Mm-hmm. Like it just felt like, um, you, you know, it felt like you were time traveling back a couple of months ago uh, and, and like writing about, you um, you know, something pretending that there isn't this huge anvil like over mm-hmm. everyone's head. Um, but I think for the foreseeable, like as long as this is something that is uh, completely changing and upending our way of life, um, like that's going to be an important part of our coverage uh, uh, going forward. So. No, that definitely makes sense. It's interesting to hear that perspective. And it's, it's cool to know, too, that your readership has gone up, you know, a significant amount considering, you know, everything that's going on and that readers genuinely are curious about, um, you know, what's going on with policymakers and the government right now. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's like, you know, because it's, it's changed our lives, too, as reporters. Mm-hmm. Um, it changed our entire, like, how we go about our day-to-day um, entirely. You know, we're, we're, we are very used to um, throwing ourselves in front of people, you know, asking questions, you know, uh, being social, right? Like, going up to strangers that you don't know and asking questions and um, gaining their confidence, uh, I think, you know, I, I'm used to like three or four days every week. Um, I'm either at conferences mm-hmm. or I'm at congressional hearings or I'm having uh, meetings with sources. Um, and all of that can't really be done uh, in this current environment. Right. Um, so it has been super interesting. Uh, it's been a little frustrating, too, but it's been super interesting to kind of figure out how to change your strategy, change your tactics um, so that you're not in this situation where, like, you are relying on these, uh, like, boilerplate email responses or, mm-hmm. or, or press releases that don't really tell you, like, what's happening or why. So mm-hmm. you kind of have to lean back on um, the sources that you established before this all went down, like the folks who are in, you know, who you already have their numbers and, you know, you can text them and 
um, or, or call them and, and, and get that kind of information. Um, and then also it, it uh, on the opposite uh, direction, it kind of pushes you to reach out um, to sources beyond like your normal, uh, regular collection of folks that you would normally talk to and um, establish kind of new um, relationships, even if it's through email, even if it's mm-hmm. through over the phone, you can't really meet those people in person, but um, you just have to be more uh, more creative. So um, it has been it has been very interesting, uh, but uh, it's also been a little a little frustrating. I think mm-hmm. because we're, we're we're social creatures by nature. Yeah, no, that's that is really interesting actually because you know you are used to going to events you know every week, um, which actually is a good segue into the topic of virtual events. I know SUW puts on events. Um, you know, going to events how is that going to look like are you going to be doing virtual events have you found yourself attending virtual events yet yes and yes mm-hmm. um so uh you know we have so we, i don't think we found a uh one-to-one corollary for the in-person events that we used to have where a lot of the selling point right to attendees is that you get to be in a room kind of the same room as um you know official x or Mm -hmm. uh, cio uh, y um and you kind of get that kind of uh, uh, i hate to use the word synergy but like you kind of get that that interplay between um you know uh, folks who who want to be able to have those face-to-face interactions yeah Um, i don't think we found a one-to-one corollary for that but we are doing digital events uh i have been attending digital more digital events like and it's kind of funny because when i first started at fcw i think um you know we have like a our editorial meetings where we will map out our coverage for the next week and um like pitching a digital event pitching like that your coverage like a digital event it's like you you'll get shamed by by my editor adam um you know he kind of he was like i you know as long as i'm editor like we we, yeah. we will not uh, we will not uh, you know be like writing stories on this webinar or that webinar um and now that is oftentimes the best way to um get a public comment from a public official mm-hmm. um but it's not the same like it, you know and, and and we shouldn't pretend that it's the same um going to a virtual webinar is not the same thing as um going to see that person speak in person where you can you can go up to them and solicit them afterwards you can ask follow-up questions um you're not totally and completely at the mercy of whoever's organizing the event who mm-hmm. you know doesn't necessarily want you to uh, go up and ask, you know, difficult questions or um, or annoy their speakers or, or make their speakers yeah. not want to come back. So, we, we, yes, we are using them, um, but uh, I think the important thing is to remember that, like, that can't be that can't be your anchor point. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to you need to you need to take what you can from those events and then um, pair it with the reporting that you do, whether you're talking to other people or um, you know, you're mining documents or, or, um, you know, kind of other, other ways. But, um, I think sort of the, the worst story that you can do in this environment is like, I, I watched this webinar and, and, and wrote about what they said. I mean, anyone could do that right at this point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I will, and that's like, I like got that point, what value, you know, you need as a reporter, especially in this in, you know, economy, like you want to be able to bring value and context beyond that. 
Yeah. Um, if we're just recapping kind of what people heard uh, someone say on one of these virtual events, um, you're probably not bringing a lot mm-hmm. of No, that makes sense. It's a good, that's a good point. It's a valid point. Um, so outside of everything going on right now, we always like to learn more about, um, you know, reporters as individuals and sort of how you got your start. Um, you know, I know you have backgrounds um, before FCW. Can you tell us a little bit about your background, how you got started in journalism and where you've um, written at before? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, so I uh, came out of uh, so I went to journalism school. I came out in 2006 and I got my start in uh, local community reporting. Mm-hmm. I reported on um, Fairfax County uh, for The Connection, which is a, a chain of local newspapers uh, in Virginia. Um, and I started out uh, about a year before the financial collapse and Great Recession hit. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when that happened, uh, so when that happened, basically, uh, they came to us, our editors came to us and were like, hey, you know, we, uh, you know, we see some uh, troublesome uh, waters coming, but I think we'll be okay. I think, you know, I think we'll be fine. And then a week later, they were like, uh, well, you know, it's, it, the outlook is a little bit murkier and, and we might have to make some cuts, but like, you know, it will, we'll, we'll try to limit them where we can. And then like a week after that, um, we had another meeting where they were like, yeah, advertising revenue mm-hmm. has dropped off of a cliff. Uh, and like, we are going to have to make some super hard choices here. Um, so they eventually wound up cutting half of our, basically half of their staff, uh, and I, I was one of the, one of the, the the folks who got who got who got uh, basically lost their job. Mm-hmm. Um, and after that, it was like pretty much impossible to find work as a journalist um, when you're competing with like people who like lost their job at AOL who've been there for ten years. You know, you're basically competing for the same, uh, you know. Uh, a year uh, journalism position. Um, So uh, I actually thought that for a while that I was going to be out of journalism, that I wasn't, you know, that I was going to have to go do something else. I went and um, got my master's degree in public policy uh, and then started working for a IT intelligence contracting firm. And that's kind of where I uh, uh, got introduced to covering government, IT, uh, cybersecurity, contracting. That makes sense then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then uh, worked there for four years, but hated the corporate environment. So left in 2015 to basically start my own freelance uh, journalism um, uh, company. Um, I mean, company was just me, but mm-hmm. um, I basically then I parlayed those clips uh, into uh, a, a more permanent relationship with with FCW, and, and, and here I am. But. Um, but yeah, it's 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 considering where my career started, it's it's been like uh, pretty uh, triggering and traumatic uh, to kind of see what's happening in the media landscape um, over these last um, months. Just because I I I, I have been there, mm-hmm. and, uh, I just know how painful it is for you to basically lose your livelihood uh, through no fault of your own, right. and, and thrust into a market where it's like, you know. There is no other job for you to, you know, for you to get. You're, you're basically, um, you know, every company is in the same situation that your company was yeah. in. So. That is that is tough. And, um, yeah, I know definitely a lot of journalists are going through that now, have been through it before. Um, so, no, that's definitely really tough. 
Um, so we also have a couple listener questions that I actually did not send you ahead of time that I just got recently, but I'm going to ask them. Um, there's about four of them and they're kind of a little bit more fun, we'll say. So what are th- three government buzzwords that you're sick of hearing? <laughs> I know there's quite a few government buzzwords that is, um, yeah. acronyms that we all hear all the time, but are there any that stand out to you? that you're like, I'm over this one. Yeah. Um, public private partnership. Okay. Cause that means basically nothing. Um, it can mean everything from, you know, uh, a, 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 a true collaborative, uh, relationship to, um, you know, uh, the government does the work in the, uh, the private sector takes the profit mm-hmm. to, you know, uh, just like contracting, you know, just like we, we, we did a contract. Um, that's, that's pretty annoying. Um, there, there are, there are a couple of really good ones, um, that, that, that I'll have to think about. Um, there is, Oh, it's a team. So like cybersecurity is a team sport is like, the most cliche of cliches that you hear basically five to six times every conference you go to, Mm -hmm. um, such that it just renders the whole phrase uh, meaningless. Um, I'll I'll try, I'll try and think of of, those. are. That's solid. That's good perspective. Um, let's see. And then what's, you know, what's one of the, um, stories or angles that will grab your attention in your inbox. And I, and I asked that in the context of, I'm sure you get a ton of emails every day from, um, you know, people looking to pitch stories to be a resource from PR firms. So, you know, given getting hundreds of those every day, what stands out to you? People who do their research, um, uh, the sheer amount, like, the sheer number of PR folks who I think just basically um, write a generic email and then just blast it out to anyone you know who is even remotely within a hundred miles of what they're pitching, um, those people just get ignored. Mm-hmm. Um, I think any um, you know I think if you, <laughs> I, I think personalizing your pitch in a not in a way where you're like you know I don't want I don't want you to personalize it to me like as a human being I want you to personalize it in a way that tells me that you read uh, my work that you are aware of what I cover and what I don't cover um, you know I think pitches where where it's not super obvious uh, that you are either directly or indirectly trying to pitch your client's product. Like anything where it even smells like that Mm -hmm. um, gets just like immediate, immediate trash. Um, You know, because basically what that communicates to, to the reporter is that you're not actually trying to pitch them. You're not actually trying to help them. You are you are trying to use them to um, to, to, to to pimp your your, your client's product. Um, and so, you know, and like there are just all these instances where folks will try and be clever about it or they'll try and kind of indirectly lead you to um, that that sort of pathway and it's so obvious every single time mm-hmm. that um that basically they're trying to get you to write about how awesome their 
their client's product is yeah. um, or how it's the exact solution to whatever problem that you're sort of being pitched on is. Mm-hmm. Um, and those never work. It, it never works. I always tell PR folks that the best pitches are um, the best, like the, the best pitches you can give me are offering me your clients as a expert resource on a policy topic. And if they can give me smart vendor neutral analysis that doesn't uh, sort of like lead directly to you know, if it's someone from uh, a, a, a software company, you know, software company where it's like, oh yeah, like the problem is this, and the solution is this, and the solution happens to be, um, you need this kind of software. Um, you know, if you can, if you can avoid that and just give solid vendor-neutral mm-hmm. uh, guidance and and and, and expertise, um, that gets your client's name in the paper. Uh, that that gets them um, referenced as a subject matter expert, and that that promotes. That, that that promotes your product um, and, and your and your client in, in a way that I think doesn't really conflict with what I'm what I'm trying to do. Mm-hmm. So I think avoiding I think avoid like avoiding the impulse to you know because we all know like when a when a PR person is reaching out they're not reaching out with a pitch uh, out of the goodness of your of their heart right there there's a, there's a clear business. Um, uh, uh, angle there, and that's not a bad thing. That's 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 just reality. But there's a way to do it where you're not um, you're not uh, insulting the mm-hmm. reporter's intelligence yeah. by, by by making them think that you're doing them a favor when 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 you're actually promoting promoting yourself. No, that makes so, total sense. Yeah. Good answer. So yeah, that, yeah. That, that, that's what I'd say, and I would say just like good pitches where you have where it's clear that you have. Uh, that you have paid attention to the subject beyond just your own professional interest, and you're 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 looking at the issue outside of just how does this directly relate to um, sales? Like mm-hmm. those are the best pitches, and those are the people that I end up responding to the most. Makes sense. That says it all. That's a great answer. Makes total sense. And then I think the last question is, what are some of the topics that interest you the most, just in general, out of whether it's, um, you know, your beta FCW, cybersecurity in general, IT issues, non-government issues? So I would say within the context of my beat, um, I love anything related to like advanced persistent threat hacking groups, basically state state based hacking groups. Um what the government is doing, um, the, the the levers that that they that uh, pol- policymakers have at their disposal to um, either either uh, cut off access to to those groups or uh, inflict uh, consequences and, and, and punishments on um, the the organizations that they represent, whether it's through indictments in the Department of Justice um, or uh, through sanctions or through kind of other multilateral uh, things that uh, that that. Uh, the United States does in conjunction with other countries. Um, that is always very interesting to me. Um, mm-hmm. Election security, I cover a lot, uh, and I do. I, I find it fascinating. It's also um, it's also very annoying because, um, <laughs> like, if you phrase something uh, it, just a tiny little bit different than what uh, like people want you to, you mm-hmm. just it's such a vocal community. Uh, and, and I mean, you know, for, fair enough. It's it's a, it's an extremely important issue, and um, the details matter, and, and you want to make sure that you get it right. Um, but 
man, like if you don't write the story exactly the way that um, this person wants you to, um, they they're just very vocal and uh, and and attacking about. I'm it. sure that topic is going to get a little crazy here soon. If you know, it's going to escalate yeah. a bit. Well, it was already. I mean, it was already. Yeah, it was already going to be crazy and. It, it that has upended because it took. I mean, it's been weird because as someone who covers election security, because it's it's you know there are tech and non tech angles, but the, in terms of the cybersecurity angles, you know there there is a there was a strong presence of uh, like tech based angles that were related to this issue. Right, it's electronic voting machines, um, it's uh, uh, voter registration systems. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's, 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 uh, hackers, you know, using the internet, um, to, 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 to probe systems and, um, and, and steal credentials and, mm-hmm. and, and, and do things like that. And now we are kind of switching to this mindset where we don't know if anyone is actually gonna, you know, or how many people are actually going to end up voting on those electronic machines come November. Um, yeah. It's kind of shifted to this vote by mail thing, which, uh, is not you know vote by mail is not uh, technology related. So how does that fit into um, our coverage? You know we and that's something that I'm kind of trying to figure out myself. Yeah, uh, it, it's still relevant and, and and you should still cover it. But um, you know it, the the impetus the 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 is not as uh, is not as as strong now that it's sort of a more manual vote vote by mail uh, based process mm-hmm. and it kind of like has upended this entire debate that has been happening over the past three and a half years about like how do we secure these voting machines how do we make sure that they're not connected to the internet um, of course folks are still going to be voting on those machines and those issues are still relevant but um, it's 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 very much like this whole pandemic has very much upended that that conversation in, yeah. a, in, a, uh, in a weird way absolutely it completely shifted it it's, you know, I'm really curious. We'll definitely have to follow some of your reporting to see what's going to happen there and how this all pans out. Crazy. Yeah. Oh, and then I was going to say, just beyond that, um, you know, I, I, um, outside of like my beat, I, uh, anything that deals with, um, foreign policy, um, uh, the way that the United States government interacts with uh, um, other governments, um, international, uh, uh, agreements, mm-hmm. um, major national policy um stuff that that's all stuff that um i was interested in before i got into 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 this cybersecurity beat and it's uh to the extent that i can kind of touch on those mm-hmm. subjects in my reporting I, I always try to because i think that um you know it's a way to kind of make cybersecurity uh less siloed and more relevant to um some of these larger issues um, you know, it's, you're not just talking about uh, computers and, and, and bits and bytes and things like that. Like you're talking about the way that uh, nations uh, communicate, conduct espionage, uh, the way that they, uh, the way that intelligence services get a lot of their information um, these days. So just trying to make it broader mm-hmm. um, while still kind of staying within within my little world. Th- mm-hmm. Those are the things that I like to focus on. That's awesome. Great. Well, thanks so much, Derek. It's been really fun talking to you and having you on the show today. Yeah, thank you. I have uh, really appreciate the, the invite. Had, had, a, had a really good discussion. Yeah, definitely. We'll look forward to uh, everyone listening to this episode and letting us know what you think. And really appreciate you being our first remote podcast guest of Inside the Media Minds.
Yeah, yeah, I'm the I'm the monkey shout out <laughs> in space. So happy happy to be the experiment. Awesome. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you soon then. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of Inside the Media Minds. To learn more about our podcast and hear all of our episodes, please visit us at w2com.com slash podcast and follow us on Twitter at Media Mind Show. And you can subscribe anywhere podcasts are found. 